Be to God, indeed. Thank you, Tara and Andy. Friends, in light of God's word, let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, you are good, and Lord, we are grateful to be able to be gathered in your name in this place. Lord, as the word has been read, we pray that you would be with us uh, by your spirit, enriching this time and making it meaningful, Lord, that you would shepherd our hearts as you are the good shepherd. In this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sorry for the uh, lack of clarity on whether we were standing or sitting there. I felt like we, we, had, a, we had a half and half room. Uh, everything in good order, right? Presbyterians. I, I botched it. <laughs> All right. And also, it's good to be back. Uh, I missed last week. Uh, it, was, it was a joyful uh, miss because I, I got to do a wedding out of state. Um, but still, uh, it's always good to be back. It's always sad to miss uh, being together on a Sunday. So glad to be here myself. I'm glad you're here to worship God in this place. Um, and I'm Brian, by the way, if we've never met before. So, um, All right. So, uh, friends, we'll dive in here. And... Um, just sharing personally kind of out the gate. Some, you know, many of you, I'm sure, probably already know this, um, but this year has been kind of, a, kind of a fun one for multiple reasons for me and my family, uh, different things going on. But, but one of those uh, big reasons that this has been kind of a fun year is that my oldest uh, firstborn uh, child, my firstborn kiddo, uh, Abby, uh, has become of age. Uh, she's old enough now that she is going to school. She's doing the kindergarten thing. Uh, you know, five days a week, getting up, backpack on, breakfast, out the door, in the car, going to school, doing, doing kindergarten, figuring out what school is like. So that's, that's been an adventure for all of us. It's, it's been fun. And one of the, you know, kind of acute stories, you know, more... Uh, uh, kind of an actual story of why that has been fun and interesting is that early on in the school year, maybe a, a week or two in, Abby came home one day and she was really ex- excited about this thing that uh, her teacher was doing in class. And the thing apparently that her teacher was doing that she wanted to tell us about and that she was super stoked about 
uh, was that uh, her teacher was creating this thing called a no-no list. Yeah, my daughter was excited about a no-no list. And I'm sure it's kindergarten, so it's a fun no-no list. Like, it's artistic, and they're, like, drawing on it and things like that. But, but you can imagine how this would happen, right, in this, this social uh, situation, this, you know, group of, like, what, 26 probably kids for the very first time in this new kind of environment. So you can imagine the teacher up front trying to, you know, direct and guide and educate and, and kind of say, okay, we're going this way and we're doing this thing. And, uh, and as, as that's happening, there's hiccups, right? There, there are, you know, things that are not going according to plan. Kids are, you know, poking each other or shouting out or breaking down and crying for various reasons. Different things are kind of going off the rails. And all of these are teachable moments, right? And there are things as you're going that the teacher can, okay, we got the big sheet here. Let's add this to the no-no list, right? Like we don't poke, you know, our friend when they're sitting next to us just because we can, like with a pencil or whatever. Um, You know, we don't throw our sandwich at lunchtime, whatever the thing might be. So that's the idea of the no-no list. And for uh, whatever reason, uh, Abigail thought that was like super awesome and that we should have our own as a family. (laughs) And so, you know, as a parent, you know, I kind of have two reactions to this at the same time. On one hand, uh, I'm going, okay, like in my head I'm thinking, we already kind of have one of these? Like, like we have, you know, this list of things we're trying to direct you towards and, you know, things that are acceptable, things that are, that are not acceptable in our house that we're trying to shepherd your little heart towards to show you the, the good way, right? So, like, we're, we already have it on one level. But then on another level, I'm like, you want a list of things I don't want you to do? All right. <laughs> like, amen. I, I, will, I will fill that out for you. We, we can do this list. Uh, and so, so we, you know, story continues, right? We, we decide to do it, and, uh, you know, we begin to apply it. As you can imagine, as the weeks have gone on, the weeks continue on from that point, the enthusiasm for said no-no list um, kind of wanes uh, over time. It begins to cool off slightly. You know, the sense of urgency of, we got to have one of these for, for our family, is not as much uh, there anymore. And, and the reason is, I think, she begins to connect the dots, right? Because if we have this thing, we put the no-no list, you know, the, the thing on the list, there's then this accountability, right? And we can point back to it and say, hey, you're doing that thing, that's on the list. What, what do we say? As a family, we don't do that thing, right? So, segue, right, into the text. In a similar way, to my daughter's kind of uh, slowly degrading enthusiasm, degrading kind of sense of urgency for this no-no list as time went on, I think uh, for disciples of Jesus, for Christian people, we sometimes have a similar experience when it comes to God's word, when it comes to the scriptures and what we find in them. And I think it goes something like this. You know, at first, maybe especially when you're new to the faith or a young Christian, uh, you might be very excited that, about the Bible. You might be very excited, oh, God has spoken, and it's in this book, it's in his word. You have a sense of urgency of like, I need to study this, I need to know it, I need, I need to uh, become acquainted with what it, God is saying in his word. And yet, over time, just like my daughter, I think, 
we begin to find stuff in the book that is uncomfortable. We begin to find stuff in the book that is hard. We, be, we begin to find things that are, that are no's that really, really uh, challenge us deeply in terms of our instincts or what we like and what we just think is fun in certain cases. As well, not only do we find no's, we also find some very deeply challenging yeses, some, some positive, cans, uh, positive commands, things that are mandated in God's word as well. And, and I think as we begin to find those things, it can create a little bit of a, uh, like, maybe, maybe the, I'll cool off on this. Maybe I don't need to be as excited about knowing everything that's in this book, right? The urgency wanes. Now, I, you know, I think uh, just connecting that, one of the ways I was thinking about that this, this week is seeing, even in the teaching of Jesus, this reality. If you're familiar with Jesus' teaching, Matthew 13, Mark 4, there's this parable of the sower and the casting of the seed. And, you know, there's a seed, at, you know, representing the gospel. And this seed falls on good soil, but it also falls on other types of soil as well. And, you know, on the good soil, the seed takes off and it's exciting. But then, uh, you know, for the other soils, there's kind of a, uh, you know, there are different challenges that come about and the enthusiasm, the urgency, the growth is, is stunted in these other soils. Very much related to this, I think, in our passage today here in Romans that we are looking at, I think the Apostle Paul is clarifying for us and for his original audience, at least two things. First thing, uh, these have become my, kind of my main reflections, my main points here. First thing that Paul is clarifying here is just quite simply that there are indeed no's for disciples of Jesus. There are things that are disallowed. Actions and behaviors. Words, thoughts, and deeds that are not okay that are, are disallowed, that are sinful. Uh, you might think of the word transgression, right? There, there is such a thing as transgression because God has set a boundary. He has set a law, a command, and then we, we transgress, right? We go beyond the line, right? So that's the first uh, reflection, right? There are these commands in Scripture. There are these no's. Secondly, big point will be... Uh, kind of getting to the heart of the, the why question. And really, it's going to be answering the question of, of why should we care about these no's? Why should we care about these commands and keep caring about them yeah, as if they were urgent, <laughs> as if they still matter? Uh, because the answer is they do. So that's where I'm heading, and we'll be diving in uh, for the next few moments as my points but um, to connect the title for just a moment, the title of the sermon, as you can see in the bulletin or uh, on the screen now, uh, I've entitled the message, uh, The Ceiling and the Floor. And connecting all these ideas, the reason for this title in my mind is because I think the idea of a, of a literal ceiling and, you know, like a, a physical floor underneath our feet really provides us with kind of a helpful, uh, some helpful imagery, uh, a kind of a, a metaphor almost, a kind of a framework for, I think, uh, how God's law and his words and his commands 
operate and how we can understand them as we find them in the scriptures. I mean, in other words, what I'm trying to say is uh, there is a ceiling, you know, quote unquote, kind of spiritually speaking when it comes to God's word. And, and the ceiling are these positive kind of idyllic commands, right? And we'll, we see some of them in the text. These like, hey, this is like the blue sky, it, you know, dream. This is the good way. Beautiful command. Go and do this beautiful thing, right? That's the ceiling command. Find them throughout the scripture. We also find these kind of, you know, flora commands, right? That are kind of meant as barriers, as kind of things that, hey, do not go beyond or below this thing. This is here for your good. It's, it's going to serve all kinds of purposes for you. And if you go below this floor, it is going to be really hard, really problematic in a, just a multitude of ways. Just think about pra- practically, kind of pragmatically, what, do, what does a floor do for us? Keeps us level, for one. You know, makes sure, you know, if, you know, you're not out on the rocks and the soil and things are all over the place. And a floor in here, it's, it's nice and even. Right? Keeps you level. Keeps you out of the dirt, unless you track the dirt in, which, you know, happens with kids. But you know, keeps, keeps you from sinking in, in things you don't want to sink in. Right? A good flora does all these things. It's a good foundation. And so, so that's, that's the reflection here. There are these wonderful, in God's word, beautiful kind of ceiling commands, ideals. And then there's also these kind of floors uh, of what is in place for your own good these kind of uh, more negative no commands. So with that as kind of a, hopefully some, some kind of a, you know, analogy that provides some value for you in understanding this text and where we're going, uh, let's connect this a little bit more concretely to what we see in the verses that were read earlier, Romans 13 and 8 through 14. And you say, where, okay, where do we see these things in that passage? And the answer is really all over. I think this whole passage is just full of these kind of commands, the floors and the ceilings all over the place here. And it starts right away, right at the top, verse 8 of the text. And this right away is what I would call one of these kind of ceilings. And what is it that we see? It is a command to do what there in verse 8? A command to... What is the beautiful command there? To... Love, yes, right. The command to love, verse 8. Paul is uh, kind of logically picking up where he has left off. In verse 7, by the way, you know, if you're new, we're we're preaching through the book of Romans. I didn't just decide, hey, I really want to preach this section. We're continuing the logical flow through this book. So verse 7 of Romans uh, 13 talks about owing, right? Paul says, you know, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe respect, Respect. If you owe honor, honor. All these things. Continues that logic. Verse eight says, "Owe no one anything, except for what? Except to love each other." Uh, for and then he explains why. Why? Because the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And so love here is this kind of high point, this beautiful command, this ceiling command. If you love. Paul is saying, if you love, you will fulfill the law. You could think about it in terms of like, okay, just one single command kind of wraps it all up. You know, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
you do those two things, you have fulfilled all of the commandments, all of the laws, done. Like, check mark. I mean, I encourage us not to think about our, our ethics and our morality in terms of check, mark, check marks, because that can become problematic. Um, but but that's, that's what is the heart of what Paul is saying here. Is you love, you've done it. It's, it's, it's complete. But because Paul knows a thing or two about his own heart, his own past, because he knows a thing about the human heart, generally speaking, he doesn't just end there, right? He could just say, hey, love, and that's it. I'm not going to say anything more. But he, he doesn't stop. He goes into some stuff here, right? He goes into some commands, these negative commands, these no commands. And it's because he knows that sin is a serious thing in our hearts and in our lives, that there is uh, deception that happens in our lives and in our hearts in relation to sin. So where does he go from here? He goes on and he uh, articulates these commands that are really not just coming out of his own head, but commandments that he is referring to that refer back to the law of Moses in the Old Testament. And it is here that he is pulling four of these commands from uh, what is sometimes referred to, we call them the Ten Commandments. We could refer to it as the the Decalogue sometimes, if you want to be fancy. Deca is ten, log is word, so the the ten words that God has given. And Paul pulls out four of these, these classic commands from Exodus 20 is where we find them. And... These are particularly our commands, you know, as I spoke earlier, there's commands that are more uh, kind of vertical in their orientation in terms of how we are to respond and interact with the Lord himself. And then there are commands in the Ten Commandments that are more horizontal and relate to how we are interacting with one another. And that is really, at this point in the letter, that is, is Paul's focus here. And so the four that he pulls out are in that vein. In verse 9, we heard it earlier, but just to highlight them again, Paul says, for the commandments, and he lists them. And it's kind of funny, there, if you compare this, the way he lists them, to uh, the, the way they are listed and counted in Exodus, they're, they're kind of all out of order in Wampus. But we assume that he, Paul is doing that because of his own thoughts and what he knows about his context. Right? So he says, for the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, You shall not steal and you shall not covet. And any other commandment, any other commandment, he says, all of them are summed up in these words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we see see, he kind of gives these negatives, these no's, rooted in the law of Moses. And then he moves to the beautiful, positive uh, sealing command of love that covers it all. So, Point one, there are, there are no's in God's word. And we see it in the Old Testament, you know, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. We also see it in the New Testament as well. And we see how Paul, I think, in this passage, he's kind of feeding off of these Old Testament commands and, and applying them to his context. And we, that's what we see, I think, going on in verses 12 and 13 here. Paul is really kind of, I think, extrapolating from the Old Testament and saying, okay, what does this mean and what does this look like for us? Okay, it's going to look like a few things. Picking up in verse 12, he says, The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us, this kind of negative command, right? Let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put them away, discard them. These are the no's. But then he flips to the positive, right? The ceiling. 
put on the, and put on the armor of light. Verse 13, he carries on. He uh, flips, well, no, he keeps on the, the good train, right? He says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Again, this beautiful kind of sealing command. And then flips back to the negative with these six commands. Not in these things, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and uh, sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Verse 14, but, flips one last time to be positive, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say? But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Sorry, lost it there for a second. So, that is what we are seeing, what was being unpacked here in these commands. Six different negative commands, and we can actually see how Paul is extrapolating these. Right? We, we can kind of see how he's saying quarreling and jealousy. He's saying that because those come out of a heart that is coveting. Right? A coveting heart is a heart that is ready to quarrel and to be jealous. You can think about sexual immorality and sensuality uh, and even orgies, if we want to go there, as being connected to this command of thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? There's an extrapolation of sexual purity and sexual ethics that is being carried into Paul's context that is important for the people that he is writing to. Right? And we can, we can think about how drunkenness is one of these things that when it comes into our lives, the, the uh, abuse of alcohol in such a way that it just throws off our judgment and makes us really poor judges in every single way, right? And we end up stepping out of, out of bounds in, in a multitude of ways when we are not, not fully ourselves in our heads under the influence of alcohol. So Paul names these things, right? And they're uncomfortable to talk about. Like, is anyone feeling awkward in the room right now a little bit? Like just talking about these list of things that he's saying no, like drunkenness, or like do we like do we have to talk about these things, Brian? I'm saying yes because they're in God's word, right? These are real temptations. These are real struggles in our lives. These are things that that wreck our lives in some cases that we deeply struggle with. That that we battle with shame and embarrassment on these things. Right, so Paul is addressing them because he knows the gospel needs to apply, be applied to these things. And the same is true for us here in this room. The gospel needs to be applied to all of these things. So we need to be able to name them. And then to let God's truth speak to them. To let his commands speak to them. To let his love speak to them. I think that ultimately is... Uh, what is going on here, that these are all the, the hard, broken places that our hearts go unless and until the love of God enters in, unless and until the love of God begins to heal and restore, fill up the empty and the broken and cracked places. We go to all these other places, we have all these other struggles until God's truth and his gospel and his love enter into us, fill us up. These are the no's here. There's a lot of them. The no's of God's word, but they're important. It's important for us to acknowledge them. It's part of uh, Jesus being our Lord, to acknowledge what he has said and what he, has, what he is saying is good and what he is saying is disallowed as well. 
does kind of lead us to our second point here, though, which is to kind of beg the question of why should we care? Maybe that's implicit in everything I'm saying, but, but why should we care uh, about loving as God's word is commanding us to? Why should we care about these no's that are being listed here? Why should we care about seek, seeking to fulfill the law, you know, and, and loving the law and seeing that as a good thing in the world and in our lives? What, you know, that, this is urgent stuff. I think the answer to that question that, that Paul gives is especially in verse 12 and verse 11. We already read verse 12, so I'll start there. It has to do with timing of what God is doing in the world. Paul writes, verse 12, the night is far gone and the day is at hand. It's one of the reasons obeying these commands is, should be urgent. To go back, verse 11, he says, besides this, you know the time, the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Why, Paul? Why do we need to wake from sleep? I like to sleep. Sleep is good. I don't want the alarm. Right? The hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So why the urgency? Because time is getting on. The time is short. The clock is ticking. And the day of the Lord is at hand. It is coming. The promises of God will be fulfilled. Christ's promised return is coming. It is near. And that is that day of accountability, ultimately, right? And it is closer today than it was yesterday for us, for you and me in this room. Certainly closer today for us than it was for Paul when he was writing this you know, over 2,000 years ago, right? We're in, we, I think we could argue, biblically speaking, we are in the home stretch of salvation history, and we don't know how long the home stretch will stretch on for, right? It could be 10 days, it could be 100 years, I, I don't know, right? We don't know, God, Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour, but we know he's coming back. That part is sure, That is a promise he is keeping and will keep and is coming soon. And I think all of this then kind of underscores this reality in God's word, that there are two things that almost always seem to go together in the logic of scripture. And that is, number one, uh, what we might call ethics, i.e. how we live, how we're living our lives, our morality, what we are doing in this world. Ethics going along with what is coming in the future. Or if you want to put a fancy theological label on that, you could say eschatology. And that's fun because then you have two E's, and I get jazzed by things like that. <laughs> Ethics and eschatology, they go together, right? And, and they inform one another. Because of what God has promised, what is, what is coming in the future, therefore we should live a certain way. We should, have, we should be sober-minded in light of these realities. That is why there is urgency, because Jesus is coming back, keeping his promises. Jesus, we are told, is and will return as judge to judge the earth and as king to rule and to reign. And that is why these these are urgent things, urgent matters for us. Just as they were in Paul's day, they are still so for us. 
So that's the why. That's why this matters. And perhaps to begin to bring this to a close, uh, I want to just ask and try and answer two remaining questions here. And the first question is this. You might say, okay, Brian, I hear what you're saying. What do I do if I just really don't like God's law? What do I do if I just really don't like the rules and the laws and the commandments? I don't like the no's that I am seeing in the scriptures. What do I do then? My encouragement to you, as it would be to myself, is this. It is do not focus on the law. Focus on the lawgiver. Don't focus on the commandment or the prohibition Focus on the one who has given the commandment, who has given the prohibition. Focus on him as the one who loves and has loved. And that is even the reason that he has given us a word, right? Not just word, he's given us 10 words, right? The Decalogue. He's given us his entire, the Bible, right? The scriptures. Because he loves us. He wants us to live in line with the way he created us to be. And to be in line with his will, which is good for us. That is the best way we can live, right? So don't focus on the law and the commandment and the negatives. Focus on the beauty of Jesus, who he is, what he has done. Second question to ask and hopefully answer a bit is just kind of wrapping all this up. What then is our calling? In light of the ethics and the eschatology, what is our calling? And I would say our number one calling is to put our faith first and foremost in the one who has come and fulfilled the law perfectly. Jesus Christ, right? He, he did the law. He's the only perfect lover ever, right? He perfectly loved God, his father. He perfectly loved his fellow man, the vertical, the horizontal. He had it all. He fulfilled the law. And in him is our hope. Even though he, he did all that perfectly, he went to the cross for us, right? He did not earn that punishment. He did not earn that death. And yet he took that on in our place because he loved us, right? So hope in him. Put him on, right? That's what, what faith. Put on Jesus Christ. Faith in his name. That's our calling. And then as you put faith in him, as you continue to wrap your heart around the beauty of of who Jesus is and what he has done, then perhaps your heart will begin to turn more and more around these commands and be like, man, this no is hard, but it's good. (laughs) This, This no and like all the implications that are attached to it is very difficult. It's against my nature. It's against our cultural norms and kind of we want to be all inclusive and everyone's in and yes to everything all the time. That's great. No, right? God's wisdom says otherwise. But there is beauty and truth in that. That is the way we were meant to be. It's, it's who he made us to be. Our call is to put faith in him. Trust his word. He knows what's up, right? Feels like I'm falling off a cliff, but uh, I think that's my, my, uh, the end of my sermon here. Maybe the last thing I'll say, if, if you want a homework assignment, to continue to reflect on love, you, where do you go in God's word? What's the love chapter? 1 Corinthians 13, that's right. Reflect on 1 Corinthians 13 this week. You can read that a little bit. Think of that not only as as a calling and a commission for for how we are to live in this life, to love one another, 
but also think of it in terms of how the Lord loves you. Love is patient. Love is kind. That is God's heart towards you. He is patient and kind. Amen? Amen. Let's pray again. Father in heaven, you are good. You are patient. You are kind. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would continue to see wonderful things in it. Lord, that you would turn our hearts to the sealing commands. Lord, that you would keep us more and more away from the floor. Lord, lead us every day by your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.